This audio is from the Axis Church in Nashville, Tennessee, and is part of our sermon series, Steadfast and Faithful, Experiencing Encouragement from the Psalms. For more information, please visit theaxischurch.org. Well, good morning, Axis fam. It's good to see you all this morning. My name is Jordan Hyman. My wife, Ashley, and I have been attending the Axis now for about a year and a half. I'm also one of the men involved in the Pastoral Leadership Collective, which is our pipeline to train and equip potential elders. Please be in prayer for me and the men involved in this program. God is doing a mighty work. Already in my personal life, God has brought things to the surface and has called me to repentance, has also called me to worship through the PLC process. Keep us in your prayers. And let me say what a blessing it is to call the Axis our church home. We love you guys, we love this church, and we love this city. Now, as we continue our sermon series on the Psalms entitled Steadfast and Faithful, I have the privilege of preaching on Psalm 46. God is our refuge. Do you need refuge this morning? Is life beating at your door? Trials and tribulations, conflict. Consider globally conflict between the nations, political unrest, not only abroad, but in our own nation. Nation itself travails under the curse of sin, tornadoes, tsunamis, floods, earthquakes, taking the lives of thousands every year. Perhaps it's personal conflict, personal battles you're fighting, financial strain, a marriage that is fighting for health, family conflict. Perhaps it's racism and injustice that we see all around our country. In this pain, in this tribulation, we ask ourselves, God, is there not a place of hope? Is there not a refuge that I can seek when my whole world is crashing before me? It brings me joy to say, indeed, there is a refuge. There is hope that is constant, stable, and that will never run dry. That's found in God, made possible by the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. This should bring hope to you today. I don't know what you're going through. I'm sure there are many people in this room who their life is just, God, if you don't help me with this situation, I won't be helped. I'm with you. I'm there. And we have a hope. Let's pray, then we'll dive into the text. Lord, in our world that is in constant turmoil, we so often are moved into a state of fear. It's a debilitating fear that robs us of the joy and peace you have for us. The effects of sin are all around us and within our own hearts. We long for safety, Father. We long for a hiding place where we can have true peace in spite of our circumstances. Even now, as I begin to preach on this passage, I am in need to know this peace more deeply myself. Speak to us, your children, through your word, Remind us of your promises and lead us into your son, Jesus, who makes this refuge possible for us today. 
Silence the flesh. Move my inadequacies out of your way and speak to us, your people. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen. So go ahead and turn to Psalm 46. We'll dive into the text in just a moment. To give some general background on the, on the Psalms as a whole, the word psalm in the Hebrew means praises. In the Greek, the picking of strings. So right out of the gate, we see a strong musical component to the Psalms. A psalm is simply a psalm. Think of the Psalms as a hymn book, our collection of poetry, penned by various writers all the way back from Moses, and most notably King David, who wrote 75 of the 150 Psalms. The various psalmers were writing under divine inspiration as they told of their real-life experiences in troubles, trials, complaints, confidence, and prayers before God. In this psalm, we see Jerusalem, which is also known as Zion, being celebrated as God's chosen city, his holy habitation. Here we see a confidence in God as protector of his people. The city of Jerusalem itself represents God's chosen place, and its people represent his chosen people. Now, as we start to zone in on Psalm 46, we are given a small introduction before verse 1. It reads, To the choir master of the sons of Korah, according to Alamut, a song. Now, the 46th Psalm was written by the sons of Korah, who were lead musicians in the tabernacle and later in the temple. This small clerical note was directed to the choir master, who directed both the sons of Korah, who performed the music for the Psalm, and Alamut, which is believed to be a reference to a high-pitched instrument of sort, but more likely it was a female vocal group who sang in a higher register, such as soprano. You'll also see the phrase Selah three times in the psalm. Whenever you see Selah, that's an opportunity for you to pause and reflect on what you have just read. Let's go ahead and dive into the text. Psalm 46, verse 1. I'll be reading from the ESV. It reads, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. Selah. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage. The kingdoms totter. He utters his voice. The earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah, verse 8. Come, behold the works of the Lord. How he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes war cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Stay loud. So going to verse 1, God is our refuge and strength. Right out of the gate, the psalmist gives us a strong proclamation of where our trust and safety need to reside. In God alone, we find refuge. God is the source of our strength. Israel was to know this truth and proclaim it. They were to be confident and fully trusting in God. 
God alone is where their hope would come from, not the strength of her army, her political power, or physical defenses, but God alone. These things could all fail, but their God would not fail. Moving on in verse 1, he is a very present help in trouble. So not only is the Lord a refuge and strength, but he walks alongside his people in tribulation. He is not close as one would be in a neighboring city or region, but he is intimately near, right there with his people, eager to extend help. He is present and active. King David latched onto this reality in the 16th Psalm, verse 8. It reads, I have set the Lord continually before me. Because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. David was aware of God always being close to him. And because of this truth, David knew that he would be kept. Verse 2, therefore, we will not fear though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea. Now, whenever you see the word therefore, it's an opportunity for us to respond. So in light of what we've just read, I will respond in this way. So in light of knowing that God is our refuge and strength, and knowing that God is ever-present with us, we will not fear. This statement is a one of applying God's truth to our circumstance. Because the truth is, in our brokenness, we are often consumed with fear. But fear is not from God. 2 Timothy 1.7 says, The Lord has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. Consider the last phrase, a sound mind. We can do some crazy things when we are operating in a spirit of fear. We tend not to think clearly. We make rash decisions. Our trust tends to not be in God in those moments. The contrast, though, is a sound mind, one that is confident in God and able to operate as such, with poise, clarity of thought, and focus. This only comes from God. Now, as we continue in verse 2 and 3, we see that tribulation remains present. It reads, Though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. This imagery would be a sight of awesome terror and one that would take your breath away. Imagine, imagine standing at the edge of the ocean, this huge ocean, tons of water, and in the distance, you see a mountain range. So as you're standing there, the earth begins to shake and convulse wildly. Even the ground beneath your feet begins to break apart and fall into a void. Now, as all of this is taking place, you look up and see the mountain range in front of you begin to collapse. And huge sections of the mountain that at one point stood tall and majestic, are now being cast down into the sea. Now, this terrifying image would only get worse as what's left of the mountain range begins to plummet into the deep. The waters begin to shake and swell, 
tsunami waves begin to rise. This is a loud event. So loud, you can only hear a roar, such as the sound of a freight train right behind you. The passage is apocalyptic in tone, meant to convey the worst of circumstances one could imagine. My question to you is, what circumstance is before you right now? What mountain is before you right now? That just seems to be immovable. What is it? Have that in your mind. See, mountains are not known to be movable. In fact, we see them as completely immovable objects that are stable as stable can be. One might even say that we can trust that they always will be. So imagine how shaking this sight would be to you. Something that you put your trust in as always being constant is falling in front of you. The thing is, we do this. We get a false sense of security in things we believe cannot be shaken, even if just subconsciously. Perhaps it's the amount of money you have in the bank, a 401k account, a certain family dynamic that is really nice. If people could have a family like mine, the world would be better. The drums are usually over here. They're not this morning. But confidence in your abilities and your talent, that will make room for me. My skill set would make room for me. Where do we find ourselves running to take refuge? Where do you find yourself running to take refuge? So when it fails you, when that thing you put your trust in fails you, what are you left with? What are you left with? Let that stick with you, that tension. So after verse 2 and 3, we're given the word Selah. So again, Selah means we're going to pause and reflect on what we've just read. Look how this thing turns around in verse 4. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. Again, note the contrast. The scene shifts from one of calamity and chaos to one of peace. It's almost serene. Unlike the raging sea that tossed violently, the picture we have here is a river that is calm, steady, and brings life-giving water to those who drink from it. This river flows from heaven, from God himself, to the people of God in the holy city of Jerusalem. Now, there was nothing particularly special about Jerusalem. What made Jerusalem holy was that God dwelt there among his people in the midst of trial and tribulation. There was steady provision that would not fail because their God was with them. Under his grace, the people are kept and in response to this are made glad. It leads them to worship. As the earth travails, there is refuge in God because of God's mercies upon his children. This is grace, church. This is grace. Don't move past this. Verse 5, God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. 
God will help her when morning dawns. God remains present with his people at all times. That includes times of trial, pain, persecution, and whatever else may come. He is present and tending to the people in all circumstances. So another question. If God resides with his people, who will move us? What force of nature, our calamity, will separate us from his loving protection? No one will. No one will. The dawn of the morning represents the coming of a new day. Even as the night is at its darkest, we can be rest assured that his help will be freshly available to us every morning. Believer, this promise of refuge is made yours through the finished work of Jesus in his life, death, and resurrection, which brought us victory over sin and death. With his ascension and the sending of the Holy Spirit, the power of God now resides in the heart of every believer. Think about this. This is crazy. God himself takes residence in our heart. So the same power that kept the children of Israel is ours today. Let's consider the words of the Apostle Paul in Romans 8, 31 and 32. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Hmm. Verse 6, the nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. So now we see the psalmist shifting from natural calamities to the threat from outside nations and to those seeking to do Jerusalem harm. See, Israel was used to being threatened by opposing armies. It was a reality for them. These were real threats. But Israel was to be encouraged to trust God and his ability to protect his holy city. Outside threats would be made. Nations would be immersed in conflict. Empires would rise and fall. But as powerful as these forces were, at the mere speaking of his voice, they would be wasted away. This is meant to convey that doing this is not a challenge for God. No force is able to stand against him. No sin is able to stand against him. No trial or circumstance is able to stand against the hands of a loving and sovereign God. Here again, we see a huge contrast between the schemes and plans of nations with their might in building up of forces and armies against the simple utterance of God to speak into a situation and immediately his command is obeyed. All things, both in nature and in men's devices, will be made obedient to God's will and plan. Verse 7. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. We are reminded of the power of God. We are given opportunity to consider his might and all-surpassing strength. 
the Lord of the angelic forces of heaven, our host, as described here, fights on the side of his people. In fact, the same God who was an everlasting covenant with our forefather Jacob is the same God who would protect and give refuge to the children of Israel now. The verse reads that the God of Jacob is our fortress. Now, one of the definitions of the term fortress is defined as a military stronghold, especially a strongly fortified town. Now, this is a fitting definition. But the definition that I think hits it on the the head is this. A person or thing that is not susceptible to outside influence or disturbance. That's our God. Not susceptible to outside disturbance or influence. The situation in your life is not a surprise to God. What you're going through right now, your circumstance, is not a surprise to God. It's not a challenge to God. The people will not be moved because their God is an immovable fortress where they can seek shelter. This fortress, this safety is found in God. Church, we have to grasp this if we are going to be able to endure the fiery seasons of life that so often come before us. There is a joy and a peace available to you that's not attached to your circumstance. That's always there to be had. Yes, we pray for healing. We pray for the thing that's causing us pain to be removed, but even if it doesn't, our God is able to supply all of your needs. This should move us into worship, into praise of what God is doing. Jesus himself knew the importance of God's presence and how that would sustain him in the midst of trials. Look at John 16, verse 32 and 33. It reads, Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come when you will be scattered each to his own home, and you will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for my Father is with me. I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Jesus was telling his disciples that a time was coming when he would be abandoned. In their fear and anxiety, they would leave him. But he knew that he wasn't alone because the Father would be there with him. Even Jesus, who indeed was fully God, was also fully man, and he knew the importance of being in the Father's presence. He knew the importance of abiding with his Father. How do we abide? How do we abide? Three ways in which we abide. We abide in prayer, conversation with God. That never ceases. That never stops. We abide in his word that's living, that guides us through this life, that informs us what to do. And we abide in community with other believers. You cannot make it alone. You need community. Community is a way in which you abide with Jesus. Something happens in you when you allow God to walk you through some mess. When you see that he is more than able to keep you 
in whatever you're going through. Yes, it is right that you hear from here that God is with you. He is for you. You're not alone. It's right that we sing songs reminding us of the presence of God in all circumstances. But something happens in your testimony when you can say, I know my God will be with me because he's walked me through this fire already. He's shown himself to be faithful in all seasons. That takes your testimony to a different place. That takes your witness to a different place. When you're no longer speaking of what you've heard, you're seeing the good book come alive by what God has done. You've seen this. The 46th Psalm inspired Martin Luther, the great reformer, to pin the classic hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. I love the second stanza of the hymn. It reads, Did we in our own strength confide? Our striving would be loosing. We're not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing. Dusk ask who that may be, Christ Jesus, it is he. Lord Sabbath, his name, from age to age the same, and he must win the battle. Church, we have victory through Jesus because he has overcome. Jesus has overcome, and he will be victorious over all. Take hope in that. Rejoice in that. Praise him in that. Verse 8 and 9. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes war cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. So here in verse 8, we are told to come and examine what God has already done. Israel was to remember how God had repeatedly given them victory and brought desolation to those who sought to bring ruin to them. They were to think deeply and ponder his past faithfulness and their position as God's chosen people. As children of the new covenant, we are to do the same thing. We are to remember what God has done for us already. What battles he has fought in our lives. How he has given us victory over situations that without his intervention would have consumed us. But most importantly, we are to remember what Jesus has accomplished. Through his atoning work, believers have the forgiveness of sins. Adoption into the family of God, and we will spend eternity with God forever. Think deeply on what Christ has accomplished. These are the ways in which we behold the works of the Lord. Continuing on in verse 9, it reads, He makes war cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Man's weapon of warfare are no match for God. At the mere speaking of his voice, their perceived strength is laid low. Under his sovereign hand, he has the power to destroy man's ability to make war and cause this war to cease. By his will alone, Israel had seen this power fighting on behalf of their cause. Again, this was opportunity to remember the mighty hand of God who had delivered them time and time again from their enemies. Yet, today we see conflict. We see war. We see pain and tribulation, suffering. Things are not right in our world. 
Just turn on the news. Watch it for two minutes and you will see how broken we are. But a day is coming when war will cease and our ultimate enemy, who is Satan, will be destroyed. Physical conflict will be no more. Marital conflict and conflict and relationships will be no more. Racism will be no more. Injustice will be no more. The spiritual warfare that we are engaged in from sunup to sundown will be no more because the enemy of our soul will be dealt with once and for all in Christ, who is the Prince of Peace, will reign with those he has purchased with his blood. I say, come, Lord Jesus. Come right now. Make this true yesterday. Make this true yesterday. What we see over and over again in this psalm is the strong hand of the Lord protecting his people, his might on display. Church, God is our refuge. As children of the new covenant, these promises are ours right now, today. So in light of what we've read, what should be the position of our hearts? How do we respond to his majestic power? Verse 10 and 11 are going to show us how. It says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. We are told to be still and fully confident in a loving and sovereign God. But this is not as stillness as one would be if they were asleep or unaware of what's going on in their life. You have trouble. I have trouble. Is speaking in front of us all the time. This is a restful trust in a loving God who will keep his people no matter what may come. This is a rest, but this is a call to worship. It's a call to make much of the name of God in response to what he has already done and will continue to do. Even as the enemy taunts us, even as the enemy taunts you and me and our circumstances, and may try to tempt us to remove our trust in God's sovereignty and love, we are to remain confident in the hands of a loving God who was working all things together for our good and will completely be victorious over all the enemies of our soul. God's name will be exalted among the nations. His name will be exalted in the entire earth. God tells us in Isaiah 45, 23, to me, every knee shall bow, every tongue swear allegiance. The fulfillment of this is in Christ, Philippians 2, 10 and 11. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, the Father. What makes these promises true for us today? By what means can we hold on to the promises of God to have a refuge, a hiding place, a place of safety where the enemy cannot advance? Christ makes this possible. 
The truth is, in our condition of sin and rebellion towards God, we have no hope. Apart from the finished work of Christ on the cross, we remain enemies to God. So the same destructive power that was against the enemies of Israel is what lies before us unless God intervenes on our behalf. But, you have to love those buts. But the good news is that Christ came. He obeyed the Father perfectly and was obedient even to the point of death, death on a cross. His death, burial, and resurrection made it possible for us to have refuge in God by Jesus being our sin covering. It gets good. So now when God sees us, he doesn't see our sin. Instead, he sees the perfect obedience of his son. That's amazing grace. That's amazing grace right there. But even in knowing this, we still try to find refuge in things of this world that will all ultimately fail us. My prayer for you, my prayer for me, is that we will fix our eyes upon Jesus, who was the author and finisher of our faith. He is both fully God and fully man, and within him there is peace. Philippians 4, 7 says, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You know, I drove down the highway one time and I saw a sign that said, no God, no peace. No God, no peace. Kind of corny. But it's so true. To know God is to know peace. Let's make it specific, though. To know Jesus is to know peace. In the fortress of God's protection, there is abundant peace. A peace that was purchased for us through the work of Jesus Christ. Jesus has accomplished it. Take hope, church. Be encouraged by the mighty hand of God. The word tells us that he will never leave us nor forsake us. God is with you in the midst of your pain and your tribulation. He's with you. I pray the Holy Spirit helps us to believe it. It's easy to say it. Of course, I trust God. But when the trials of life come, how often we forget what God has done, what he is doing, and what he will continue to do. Take hope. Be encouraged. We now have the opportunity to respond to what we have heard by the taking of communion. Jesus instructed us to partake of this holy sacrament in remembrance of his sacrifice on the cross. We must keep the cross before us. It is the place where our salvation was purchased. We will take the bread, which represents the body of Jesus that was broken, bruised, and nailed to a cross for you and I. We will take that bread and dip it in the water juice according to your conscience that represents the blood of Jesus that was shed for the remission of your sins. Now, as you take the bread and dip it into the juice, you'll see what happens, that the bread absorbs the wine. It absorbs the liquid. Just like Jesus absorbed the full wrath of God in your place. Let me pray for us that we will enjoy this meal together. 
Lord, thank you for your word. And thank you for the truth that you have given us, that we have a refuge that is constant and stable in you. We ask you, Father, to deposit this deep into our heart. May we not forget that you love us and desire for us to know that we have refuge in you despite our circumstances, that you are sovereign and working all things together for our good. Lord, keep our eyes fixated on your son, Jesus, who purchased our salvation on the cross. May we never stop being amazed on what was done for us on the cross. And Father, I pray that if someone in this room does not know you, that you will bring them unto yourself. Save them today, Father. Do this. Bless this time. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. This audio is from the Axis Church in Nashville, Tennessee, and is part of our sermon series, Steadfast and Faithful, Experiencing Encouragement from the Psalms. For more information, please visit theaxischurch.org.